Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for what you've been teaching us as a church family this summer about what it is to be a church family and specifically how to one another, one another. Lord, we've, we've really been challenged. And, and Lord, what a blessing to hear so many people being doers of the word. Lord, so many people responding uh, practically and in and, and faith and obedience to, to what you are speaking to their hearts through your word. Lord, thank you for, for the lives that have been changed. Even this past week, just many reports of people implementing forgiveness, biblical forgiveness in their homes and relationships. So thank you so much for what you're doing. And Lord, that's our heart today as we continue looking at one anothering one another and how you call your church family your kids to treat one another for your glory ultimately lord so father open our hearts open our minds lord through your spirit teach us and then lord bring the application and then even beyond that as we walk out of here lord empower us enable us to actually do something with it and in the doing that you would be glorified and in the doing we would be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. So we love you. We love your word. And Lord, we commit this time now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So one anothering. One anothering, right? And for the rest of this series, you're going to see our, our church model here, right? We've talked about all of us being united in Christ. With your faith in Jesus, you are baptized, placed into the church right here, the base. Positionally, we are all in Christ, and we have been learning as a church family how to get along with one another, right? There's a quote that we've uh, been looking at from Andy Stanley, the primary activity of the church was one anothering, one another. In other words, how are we supposed to get along? How does this work? If church is... The believers and church isn't just a place you go to and then leave. If we truly believe we are the church, then how is this supposed to work? Right? And, and so those of us who are here this morning have gathered. 1290 Grand, 10 a.m., we've gathered. And there are other gatherings happening throughout the valley. This is church. Now, about a quarter of us are sitting in traffic. Having church in the suburban and in the SUV, they're still having church, amen? You see? Right? Because they're still the church. It's the Lord's Day. They can still be celebrated. They can actually be worshiping. I'm hoping someone opened the Bible. Go figure. They can be having church, and what turns into, oh, we're stuck in traffic, can turn into two hours, three hours, four hours, I don't know, of church. If we, have our, if we have our spiritual eyes open to that truth, right? And, and so we're walking through this, that, that church isn't just Sundays, and that's important. We know that we're not supposed to forsake the gathering. But really the church is us, one another, and gathering. Some of us have small groups. There's a wonderful group of ladies and their kids that meet here Friday mornings. Small groups are going to be starting in the fall, men's and women's again, right? It's all a part of one anothering, one another. Learning what that really looks like. And here's the important part about that. When you 
begin to really grasp this one another in truth. And we see in, in the scriptures there's over 50 of them, right? Father in heaven felt the need to give his children 50 directives about, about how to treat one another. That is important to him. And when you and I grasp these one anotherings, here's what can happen to your faith. Here's what can happen to your church experience. Boom! Life. Life. Suddenly, you are a part of a living, dynamic organism called the body of Christ. Amen? Right? Rather than just this organization, rather than just this entity at 1290 grand that you go to and then leave, suddenly, this one anothering truth can engage you and me at levels maybe you've never been engaged. Maybe scary. Maybe make you kind of rock a little bit and go, whoa. I'm just a back row. Right? I, I just, I, you know, this idea of one another, and now you're getting too close. Now you're getting too close. Now, now I'm a little uncomfortable because we're called to, you know, we looked at the three. What did we call John 13? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Then we're supposed to accept one another, Romans. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And then last two weeks, we're supposed to forgive. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Woo! Right? That's a radically different view of church than just coming and going. And as much as we go, man, I don't want to be a part of something like that. How many of you just want to be a part of a winner? Anyone? You just want to be a part of something that's alive, that's dynamic, that's happening, that, that's making a difference in the kingdom and in the world and in eternity. We all say, yes, I want to be a part of that. And then we're challenged when we realize that you are a part of it. And you have an active role to play. Loving, accepting, forgiving, today, bearing one another's burdens. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to ask you to hang in there. Because what, where are we deeply challenged with this? Our culture is very much, we talk about this, very privatized. Very privatized and very individualized. We have private property. It's Jesus and me. Right? Even our faith. It's about me going to Bible study and what I'm going to get out of it. It's about me and what, what Jesus is doing in my life. And so we bring this privatized value in our culture into the church. And then our faith is very privatized. And then we're challenged this summer with one another in. So not only are you challenged with, with scriptural truth, some of us, the reason you're challenged, it's a cultural ingrained value that you're being challenged with. See, the early church, when the church was birthed, remember at Pentecost, they had shown up, God moved, and how many people were saved? 3,000 at one time. 3,000 people get saved, immediately the church goes into community mode. We gotta figure this out. We have to figure out how to 
feed and shelter and provide for 3,000 people immediately. See, the church was birthed out of a big we, out of community need. And so maybe they weren't as challenged because there was immediate need. We gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. Kind of like, you know, when, we, when, the, when the community experienced the fires that came through, right? What did we kind of click into immediately? We. There was this beautiful, beautiful we as the Ojai Valley. And people were helping one another. Beautiful stories of, of people helping to put out fires up in Upper Ojai and just going the tenth mile. There was this big we because there was a collective need, right? That's kind of how the early church was built. They were birthed out of this huge 3,000 person collective need, right? So right away, it was about, let's just, let's just put food in someone's stomach. Let's just, right? Our challenge is maybe we don't live under this big collective we need. And so we leave here and we tend to, I tend to go right back into me need. My schedule, my priorities, my bills to pay, right? My health. And, and we don't maybe live under this we, we, we. And that's maybe one of the challenges. So I want you to hang in there if you're like, oh man, this one anothering. That's why a lot of people sometimes honestly like the big mega churches. Because when you're in a church of 5,000 people, you can come and you can go and you can be pretty anonymous, pretty independent, and get your fill, quote unquote, and then go, go about your merry way. Right? Here, a little bit uncomfortable. Even in a church our size, it's still, you know, we're still kind of close and it's, you get to know each other and, and recognize each other and maybe share lives more and more. And whew, it can be a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable. And that's fine. We get that. We understand that. We know it's a process. And so I want to encourage you to hang in there if this one anothering is kind of new to you. Right? So you're dealing with cultural issues, this value system in our culture. You also, another reason you might be challenged with this one anothering is you've been burned. You've been burned. You've been burned even in the church. That bad experience. You put yourself out there. And they didn't take any of you. Or, you know, someone in the church said something really Someone in the church didn't come through for you, or someone in the church, someone in the church, someone in the church. So you've been harboring this. And maybe you understand you should stay connected to the church, but your connection to the church now has just been arm's distance. I'll attend, because I know I'm supposed to, but getting involved in people's lives, ah, this ain't done that. It's too messy. It's too messy. Right? And I've shared with you before. Who is the church made up of? Us. And what is very true about us? We're imperfect. We're imperfect. So if the church is made up of imperfect people, what is bound to happen in the church? Imperfections, right? You're bound to run into something or somebody in their imperfections, in their humanness, that is going to let you down. 
that is going to step on your toes, that is probably going to maybe even hurt your feelings, maybe even, we talked about last week, sin, and you're going to have to reconcile it. The church is kind of messy. Go back to the early church. How many people were, were saved? 3,000. How messy do you think that was? How many personalities were represented there? How demanding were 3,000 people? Sometimes we idealize the early church. Oh, they just sang worship songs and we all just got along and they just loved each other. No! 3,000 demanding, self-centered, hungry people. How many of you have a hard time when you're hungry? How many of you have a hard time when your kids are hungry? Right? Multiply that out. This is the church. This is what we're working through. This is why you have to hang in there. One anothering is tough because of this privatized culture we live in. One anothering is tough because the church is imperfect. Okay, what do you do with that? Because here's our thing. We kind of throw you for a loop because you show up on a Sunday and the rows are just so. Look, we even put black markers so we know where the chairs are supposed to be. Right? And everyone's dressed so nice. We have the pink purple group right here. Right? <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but you always wear your coat. And a team comes in and they come they, they, they vacuum. And the bathrooms are meant to be just thick and span, right? And the donuts are arranged just so. And, and Susan steams. We steam to these these. It's all so pristine and it's all so clean and it looks so pretty, right? And then you all come and we did what you did this morning and you look so pretty and handsome. Yes, handsome, you know? And then we're supposed to one another, but real quick, it's like, uh, it's not so clean. And our lives, how many of your lives rarely light up like a straight road? How many of your lives tend to be a little crooked? <laughs> a little crooked. Right? And, and so there's this, there's these challenges. I'm just going with you because we, this is why we're not moving home fast, because this one another, as much as we're like, yes! Woo! You know? We got this privatized culture. We have this imperfect church, and then you come here, and everything looks so good. We blow the leaves before you get here. We blow the leaves in the parking lot. The the, the crew that gets here about the time of seven thirty or eight, people get here at seven thirty eight, and they start making this place look really nice. And inadvertently. How are you doing today? Good. How was your week? Fine. How's your family? Wonderful. Right? Because everything's so pretty, you don't want to mess it up by being real. So there's this weird pressure in church. We make it look so pretty, and then we want you to just be real with us. Anyone? <laughs> Everyone around here looks like they're happy. 
church and go, man, I don't know if I can have it all together. Look at the first week and say, I don't have it all together either. Just be honest, I don't have it all together either. Right? And the truth is, some of you didn't have it together on your drive here. See, I know, right there, a reaction. Every time I say that, someone's like, how did you know we were fighting on the way to church? And yet, there's a miracle in the parking lot. church and miracle the miracle 50 yards right? <laughs> so there's one another let's just you know let's just flip over the cards it's tough but that's the whole point when we want another in the power of the Holy Spirit who gets the glory God that's the whole point is that we're to live biblical standards, biblical truths in the power of the Holy Spirit beyond what I even think I can do. And when that happens, God gets the glory. Amen? So that's why we're doing this. So just kind of... So today we're looking at this, this maybe a phrase you've heard, bear one another's burdens. In Galatians 6, it'll come up or you can turn to your there in your Bibles. Galatians 6... One, two, and three, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, for you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Galatians 6.2 in the uh, English Standard Version says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In the New Living Translation, it says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ, right? So it's carry, bear, share one another's burdens. Typically, we associate burdens with material needs, health needs, you know, material, financial, those kinds of needs. That's okay. It, it, it can apply to that. But we're going to see today specifically... In verse 1, T, you can put up uh, 6, 1, 2, and 3 again. Look what it says in verse 1. We're going to camp on verse 1 today. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Here's the, here's the context of bearing one another's burdens, of carrying each other's burdens, of sharing each other's burdens, is actually... Coming alongside a brother or sister in Christ who is burdened by sin. <clears throat> That's what they're talking about. Right? Look what it says. Brothers and sisters. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia. Brothers and sisters. Notice what it does not say. Pastors and elders. 
It does not say pastors and elders. Who is he talking to? Okay, specifically, who is he talking to? Me! Like, me as in, who is he talking to? Me. Okay, if you're a believer, it's a me. The answer, if you're a believer, the correct answer is me. Who is he talking to? Me! Brothers and sisters, this is a church responsibility. This is a corporate responsibility we have. This is not a pastor and elder. Okay? Now, there may be times when the pastors and elders are called in for counsel, for help in a situation. But fundamentally, this is a brothers and sisters responsibility. Brothers and sisters. That already changes the game. Because many of us have been raised that it's the pastors and the elders who have to do with sin in the church. Many of us have never, maybe you've read that before, but you just lost over brothers and sisters. Literally, just read it and said, keep moving. Without realizing the implications of those three words. Brothers and sisters. This is our responsibility towards one another. This is our responsibility toward one another. Right? Very important. Very important. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, talking about the body of Christ, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What's the point of those two verses? That in the church, in the body of Christ, there is no separation. It's, it's the big we. When you put your faith in Jesus, here's the challenging part with this, okay? And here's another challenge to this one another. Very important that you get this. When you put your faith in Jesus, that was a very what? Personal moment, amen? You reflected, God opened your eyes to the gospel. He showed you your sin condition. He showed you what Jesus did for you personally. And perhaps you bowed your knee and you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I put my faith in you as my Savior and Lord. Beautiful moment. Very personal. Amen? Now here's the challenging part of that. Immediately out of that personal moment, you were thrust into a corporate entity called the church. So what begins as a very personal Oh, Lord, thank you for saving my soul. I love you, Jesus. My life is yours. He's like, boom, now you're in the church. You're like, what? Can I just follow you, Jesus, and it just be me and Jesus until I got to go home to heaven? Hmm. What was a very personal, beautiful moment of surrender and submission and faith to Jesus? Immediately. You are placed into a corporate body where there is no just me, myself, and I. It's the big we. Okay? And we all have to recognize that because it says, right, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. We're in this together. Amen? We really are. I love this uh, illustration. It says, a number of years ago, I fell and injured my wrist rather severely. It swelled up and got very painful. 
And the rest of my body felt so bad about it that it sat up all night to keep it company. <laughs> Anyone? How many of you had one part of your body in agony and the rest of the body stayed up all night too? Right? That's kind of the, the view we have to have about being the church. And yet, and yet, because of all these factors that we've talked about, we hear about something, and if we're not careful, we just become callous. We're not, we don't, we're not as compassionate. We're not as, we're not as connected. Oh, did you hear about Ken? Yeah, tough luck. I don't know what that means, right? But, but we can get real, sort of like, so busy with ourselves. Oh, man. You know, Pat's really going through it. Oh, really? Gosh, too bad. And we just kind of move on. And this idea of suffering and, and having compassion and walking through something together as a body, if we're not careful, we're just too busy for each other. We're just too busy for each other. And into that comes this idea, this truth, back in Galatians 6.1. T, you can put up Galatians 6.1. He says again, right? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin. So into this challenge of just trying to get through my stuff, this one another commands me, challenges me to be so engaged in a sister's life or a brother's life that if you get caught up in a sin, I'm supposed to do something about that. I have a responsibility to you. If you're caught in a sin, not just hurting financially, not just your health being bad, if there's a sin issue that has overtaken a sister or a brother, these verse, this verse tells me I have a responsibility. Not the pastor, me. I have a responsibility to do something about that. Right? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Right? Not giving up meeting together. So here's the thing, guys. That's a command. We're not to give up meeting together. This is important. When you commit to meet together, when you commit to engage and really just do what you're supposed to do as part of being the body of Christ, there are added responsibilities that come with that. It's not just show up and... No, no. You're in. We're going to meet financial health needs, material needs, and do that best as we can. But now, we're called to engage one another when they sin. When a brother and sister is overtaken in sin, right? I love this, uh, if you're watching the Little League World Series, uh, Hawaii is doing pretty well. And a lot of times, uh, if you watch the Little League World Series, or even professionals on the jerseys, they put their last name, right? Hawaii, I love what's on the back of their jersey. Go ahead, T. On the back of your, their jersey, it says, we is greater than me. They don't have their last names. In place of the last name of every one of their jerseys is we is greater than me. I was like, that is awesome. What a great reminder. What a great value as a baseball team 
that we're a team. It's not about a bunch of individuals. We is greater than me. And I go, you know what? That should be the church. Amen? You see? That should be the heartbeat. That's the heartbeat of one anothering. That we, the corporate entity called the church, is greater than me. But then again, that just just that thing up there challenges those principles, those core things that we talked about earlier. Is the we of the church greater than the me in your life, in my life? Is it really? And 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 it's something you got to really be honest with, right? I've talked about the difference between coming to church to be a getter or a giver. Right? Do you come to church to get a good sermon, to get good worship, to get good coffee and donuts? Do you come primarily to be a getter? Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with getting something from your time here. Or are you coming on Sundays to be a giver for the greater we? You come to give encouragement. You come to give fellowship. You come to give your time and your talents in serving. Radical difference. Radical difference. If you come on a Sunday and you say, Lord, today, I purpose in my heart to be a giver and not a getter, watch what will happen to your life here on Sunday mornings. I guarantee it. You say, Lord, help me to be a giver on Sunday mornings. Give me eyes to see how to be a giver. And you know what? You're going to bring people into your life that just need a smile, need a hug, need some prayer, need a conversation. This kind of stuff. You can come here and be a giver where the we is greater than the me and suddenly you leave here and you are fulfilled. You leave from you leave from your church experience you're like, that was awesome! I met two people, I prayed for another person and I had a fun conversation with another. All because the we was greater than the me, all because you came to be a giver and not a giver. It's all one another. Radically will change your radically will change your view of church and your experience of church. Just like that. Here's the thing. Some of you can make that decision before you get out of your seats. Some of you. You might have come. No condemnation. You may have come like, oh man, I never heard that before. We greater than me, give or get her. Here's a radical thing. When we say amen at the end of the service, you can choose to be a giver. Before you leave, before you head to your car. Give someone a handshake. Give someone a hug. Give someone a smile. Give someone the coffee you wanted. Give someone that last donut. Do something before you leave here to give and see what happens in you. See what God does in you. Radically change. Radically change things, right? So the we is greater than me. Now, it says here, let's keep going. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, Someone is caught in a sin. Now that word caught is very important. Anybody here sin? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did because you lied. Anybody in here sin? I'm not talking like right now, just in general, okay? In the broad sense of sin. We all sin. We still have the sin nature. Amen? Yeah. We, 
it's susceptible. It's not excusing it. It's not condoning it. Let's just flip the card over and say, we all have the nature of sin. Amen? Right? That verse says if someone is caught in a sin. Very important. That word caught in a sin or that phrase really will help you understand what's going on here. It's caught by a sin. Okay, it's by. What it means is it's not a case in this, in this situation. It's not a case of deliberate disobedience. Willful, habitual, premeditated, hardened heart sin. That's not what this is talking about. Okay, The word picture where it says caught in a sin is caught by a sin. It's someone kind of running away. And they're caught. They're trapped. They're, they, get, they get trapped by it. And they're kind of, hey, hey, hey. Right? Kind of like, the, the, the example given is, is, remember Peter and his great affirmation that even if, if everyone will deny you, what did he say? I never will. Right? How many times did he blow it? Three times. Three times, right? Overwhelmed. He blew it. He had the best of intentions. <laughs> he was overwhelmed, circumstances, fear, whatever. We don't know for sure. Just overwhelmed. Three times he blows it. And he is just a broken man. Scripture says he's just broken, right? Oh. It's kind of like what he's talking about here. It's not necessarily... Willful, premeditated, habitual, deliberate, I know what I'm doing, sin. This is someone who you and I, things happen, circumstances happen, and we sin. We just have one of those moments of, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I just did that, said that, reacted that way. That's kind of what we're talking about here. Okay, that's kind of what we're talking about here. In the church, sin is not to be overlooked or ignored. Okay, you can address it, you confront it, ideally with a view to reconciliation. In 1 Corinthians 5, there was sexual immorality in the church. The church winked at it, did nothing with it. And in 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, church, you have this person willfully. Engaging in sexual immorality. They're unrepentant. They're unwilling to change. And in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says he needs to be removed from the fellowship. Okay? He confronts it. In Matthew 18, there's the famous passage of church discipline where there's sin and you walk, you confront, you work through confronting someone with the sin issue in the hopes of what? Reconciliation. So there are times where how sin needs to be dealt with in the church varies. In this particular case, that word caught really has to do with somebody who has a, oh my gosh, I just, oh, I can't believe I sin like that. Oh my gosh. It's one of those broken moments of, <sighs> really? Oh. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about too. And look what it says. Let's keep going. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, hmm, 
What does that mean? Who's spiritual? Well, in Galatians 5, we learn that the spiritual ones are those who are walking in the Spirit. Right? Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So when it, when it says, you who are spiritual, what he's talking about is, hey, you in the church who are walking in the Spirit, you in the church who are manifesting the food of the Spirit in your life, you who are being led and are submitted to the Holy Spirit, you need to do something. The mature, if you want to call it that. Spiritual, spirit-filled, spirit-yielded, spirit-controlled, bearing the fruit of the spirit in your life, you need to do. You need to deal with this. You need to lovingly restore, restore. Right. First Timothy four seven says, "Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly." First Corinthians nine twenty four. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. What's the point? Here's the point. A lot of you, how many of you desire to grow spiritually? To mature. How many of you desire to mature in your faith? To be a spiritual person. Meaning led by the Spirit. How many of you desire to grow through the Spirit in your life? Right? All of that. We know that that word train is where we get gymnasium, exercise yourself on the godliness. Did you ever equate growing in godliness, training yourself up with being used of God as a source of labor? See, a lot of times we encourage you, read your Bible, pray, come Tuesday night, go to men's group, go to women's group, all this kind of stuff. Because you need to grow, you need to grow, you need to grow. And we kind of adopt that, like, I want to grow, I want to grow, because, you know, I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We're not careful, it's very individual, very self-centered, very me, right? The truth is, according to Galatians 1, if you and I are a spiritual person, mature, God calls us to actually be used in the church to go around restoring people. There's a greater purpose to you growing in your faith. It's not just about, you know, earning the adult Awana jewel. It's about being equipped and ready to restore a brother and sister who's caught in a sin. Come on. Now some are like, how would I do that? That's scary. That's, that's intimidating. That, how, how do you even, I'm going to walk through that. I'm going to talk about that. But the point is this. You and I are called to mature in our faith, to be spiritual people, to be spirit-led people, so that God can use you to restore one another. Amen? See, that's the thing. You guys know what's going on in your lives more than me. Turn to the person next to you and smile. You know what's going on in the church more than me and Bill Tyler and Marsh. 
Now, sometimes it trickles down to us. Sometimes we get the big ones. But a lot of times you all know each other's stuff. The question is, you should never connect the dots that maybe God is, supposed, is using you to restore one another to him during the week. Crazy, right? That's when your church experience comes to life and God's using you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to restore someone to him and I don't even have to know about it. Amen? He's using you. You. Everyone say me. are supposed to restore brothers and sisters. That's our responsibility. And actually, honestly, it's our privilege. Amen? Think about that. Think of the privilege it is to be used of God when a brother or sister has been overtaken in a sin. And God brings you into their life. And they get restored to him. <laughs> Think of that privilege. It is an incredible honor and privilege to be put in that person's life to speak truth and love and see them restored. Right? Simply because you exercise your responsibility, what you were supposed to do. Be daring. Bearing, carrying, sharing her burden of being overtaken. It's all of our responsibility, right? And how are we supposed to do this? Just look at the verse T. You can put it back up, Galatians six one. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, that, should restore that person what? Gently. Restore what? Gently. Very important because the church has not done the gently part very well. Right? And in fact, part of the context of this is Jesus is talking against the Pharisees and the legalists who tend to what? When someone is overtaking a sin, what do they tend to do? Bring the hammer. Right? And he's like, no, brothers and sisters. When someone is overtaken in a sin, you restore them what? Gently. Radical change. Radical difference. Again, there are times when we confront the sin, 1 Corinthians 5, Matthew 18, but here we restore gently. And here's, here's a great illustration. That word restore means when they would fix broken fishing nets, mending fishing nets, or resetting a broken bone. Yes, buddy. <laughs> so, Betty, how long ago did you break your arm? 16 weeks ago. 16 weeks ago, she was in a, a bit of an accident at the church. Not her fault. And she broke her arm. 
And at some point, they had to reset the bone. How did that feel? It hurt. <laughs> Thank you. So here's the picture. You and I, spiritual nature, when someone is overtaken by a sin, they're broken. There's a problem. And we don't come in guns blazing, Bible swinging, just shut up, shut up, shut up. We come in with a heart that wants to restore gently. I'm sure Betty really appreciated what I don't know how it happened, but I'm, was the doctor or nurse gentle? Yeah. Okay. Still hurt, but you, you sense gentleness in them. That they didn't come in and say, ah, let me see that. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> it was the how. That meant a lot to you. Right? It was their compassion. It was their heart. So for those of us brothers and sisters who are spiritual, when we see a brother and sister overtaken in the sin and the brokenness this way and brokenness this way, what this verse tells us is we got to come in with gentleness, with a desire to reset things so that there's healing. That's what it means to bear one another's burdens. We haven't done that well in the church. And a lot of times when people are overtaken in a sin, there's so much guilt and shame. And fear of what so-and-so is going to think about me. And fear of I can never set foot in that door again. That what do they do? They just disappear. And if we did this better, how many more would find the grace of God in the church? Amen? We're not talking about condoning sin. No, we're talking about when someone is broken. When someone says, oh. Gosh, I feel trapped in this, and I, I, I need help. I pray that this is a place where people are restored gently, where they meet Jesus at the well, and we don't hide sin, we don't ignore it, we call it what it is, but we bring restoration through what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness this way, and forgiveness this way, and then the bone gets reset. So it can heal properly. Amen? That's what we're talking about, right? And then he says this. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. So we go in with the heart to restore. We go in with the spirit of gentleness. But we also go in with caution. With caution. Knowing that we're just as susceptible. We don't come in with this spiritual pride. And, ha, ha, I could never have done that. Right? Sometimes we like have this sense of self righteousness and like, and we don't really say it, but we convey this. I can do that, Scott, the idiot. <laughs> that, what was the point, man? Well, the whole point is he wasn't thinking, because <laughs> he was consumed with sin, right? So he's saying, hey, watch yourself. You who are spiritual, watch yourself. Part of that fruit of the Spirit is what? Gentleness, meekness, right? Self-control. I love this. When we see a brother or sister in sin, 
There are two things we do not know. Very important. First, we do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, we do not know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. We also do not know what we would have done in the same circumstances. Oh, well, check yourself moment, church. Before we get on our soapbox, and before we wag a finger, and before we think or say, how could you, take a step back and recognize that you don't know what they've been going through. You don't know how hard they've been battling this. You don't know their story. And then the kicker, you don't know if you've done the same thing. That is a very healthy, healthy perspective to take whenever you're going to try to restore somebody. You come in a spirit of humility. Hey, I get it. I'm a sinner saved by grace too. I'm here to help restore you. Not that I have my life together. Not that I'm perfect. But I'm just coming because we're just on this journey together. Amen? You see, we're called to restore one another in gentleness because the truth is we're just on the journey. <laughs> it's you today, it could be you tomorrow. That's the crazy thing. I could be restoring grain and we're working together and then just like that, I blow and <laughs> it's flipped. Because now I blew it. So we were to bear one another's burdens in absolute humility knowing that it could be us and not knowing what they went through. Not knowing what they went through. And so we're going we're gonna to continue this journey next week looking at bearing one another's burdens, carrying one another's burdens, sharing one another's burdens, specifically in the context of someone, a brother and sister who's overtaken in sin. Broken. Almost even, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What just happened? And we have that responsibility, church. We have that responsibility as spiritually mature believers to come alongside and say, hey, let me try to reset that. In gentleness. I'm not here to be critical. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to be slow. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? That's the joy and privilege we have in this one another. To be a church of that. Where people not just hear about the grace of God, but actually experience the grace of God through who? Each other. Each other. Okay? In Mark 2, we'll close with this. Jesus, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, I love that. Jesus went to those who really needed to say. The Pharisees and religious figures were this. I can't believe that. Why is it with them? He was like, what are you talking about? I'm not coming to call the healthy. I'm coming to call the sick. Those who really need a spiritual healing. Who is that in this room? All of us. See, if we understand that he's talking about us, then we come with the right heart to those who need restoration and gentleness. Then comes the heart of, hey, what's going on? Hey, what happened? To whatever degree, I'm here to listen. To whatever degree, I'm here to come alongside in practical ways and put things in place so that that sin doesn't happen again. To whatever degree, I'm here to pray for you. I'm here to meet with you. I'm here to just help you get restored with God and restored in relationships that may be broken. That's the joy and privilege we have as a church, amen? That is incredible joy and privilege we have to be ministering to one another Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and even Sunday before you. That's the incredible joy we have. Why? Ultimately, because Jesus did it to us. He's our model. He's our model of going to the broken and those maybe who were like, ah, I'm at the end of myself. I don't even know. I don't even know what to do. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That we were the sick. And you came to us. Thank you, Jesus. And, and this morning, Lord... We've seen that we have a responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to go out and restore other brothers and sisters in Christ in gentleness. Lord, we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters if they're caught, if they're overtaken in sin, to speak the truth in love, to engage them with the desire for restoration in gentleness. Lord, we're not to turn a blind eye. Lord, we're not to come in with, with fingers wagging and condemnation and criticalness. We're to come in with humility and gentleness and love and truth in the desire that they would be restored to you and the church. So, Lord, we recognize that that is so beyond us. Lord, there are some here who are scared to death of even the thought of approaching someone like that. And so I pray that you would begin in our hearts. I pray, Lord, if we're struggling with the one another's and, and my faith and the big we, we greater than me, whatever, wherever we are in this one anothering, Lord, I pray we would just be honest and truthful with you. Just honest. And Lord, my prayer is that this would be a place this would be a church family where there is restoration and gentleness. Where we speak the truth in love. We deal with, we confront, we work through sin issues biblically. Always with the desire for reconciliation to you and to each other. 
I thank you for everyone here this morning, and, and Lord, bring the application now. This week, next week, even the week after, as we continue to walk through this passage of Scripture, help us to understand it, and then Lord, help us to hear from you how to apply it, how to apply it in the power of the Spirit for your glory. And Jesus, this morning, as we prepare for communion, we're reminded of that story that we, at one point, were the sick. We were the ones, the outcasts. We were the tax collectors and sinners, and you came to us, Jesus. And so we take communion this morning, celebrating and so grateful, so grateful for you and for what you did for us at the cross. And if you're here this morning and you've never been restored spiritually to God through faith in Jesus, then this morning I encourage you, make that personal commitment of faith and surrender to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Receive the gift of salvation, His grace, His love. Rest fully, fully in the finished work of Jesus at the cross for you. So, Lord, we give you this time of communion as a time of reflection on you, on what it means to one another, and a time of gratitude that you came to us when we were lost. So we'll open up the communion tables once again. You can come up when you're ready and get a cup of juice and bread, and then when everyone's been served, we'll take communion together. So as we uh, prepare to leave... You need to take a deep breath. Because that's a big responsibility and privilege, but it's a big responsibility. Amen? Kind of weighty. And we have to kind of like take time to process it so we're not going to rush through this. But here's the, here's the help. And this is why I, I want to close with this song. Don't let the weightiness of the responsibility completely block out the eternal perspective of who you are in Christ. Amen? Right? <laughs> Our names are written in the book of life. Heaven is our home. When you keep that perspective, there's a freedom and a joy that comes with having to fulfill our responsibilities as we walk through the imperfections of this world. Amen? You got to kind of balance that out. You got to balance it out. You got to recognize, okay, Lord, you've called me to this place for such a time as this for kingdom purposes. For kingdom purposes in Ojai right now. In light of eternity. Amen? Don't ever lose sight of eternity when God is working on your heart in this one anothering. And oh my gosh, that's heavy. That's a lot. Sometimes you got to sit back and go, okay, wait. Heaven is my home. My name is written in the book of life. It's all good. Amen? Let's stand together and let's sing This World is Not My Home.